Hey everyone, uh, thanks for joining us today on Dimension Fold. Uh, we have with us today the uh, author of two books. Uh, his name is Wallace Wagner, and he has written um, a couple of books on, uh, sorry, what are the names of your books again? And they're slipping my mind. Crossing the Crevice. Yeah. And the one that just came out was Within Grasp. Right. And uh, Within Grasp is is the one that I was reading that it's got some uh, fascinating material in there. And um, is it okay with you if we talk about both of your books or sure, you mostly? Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, because I think um, I would like to jump in with a couple of questions about um, about uh, crossing the chasm. Um, so my understanding is that uh, you witnessed a UFO. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So tell us about that. I was delivering mail at the time. It was September of 2016. And I just made a delivery to a lady's house. And I was out in her front yard heading back to my Jeep. And something just told me to stop and look up. And that's exactly what I did. And kid right over my head was what we now call a white tic-tac variety of UFO. Right. <clears throat> okay. I'm guessing so it was about 50 feet by 30 feet. Wow. Uh, what year was this? 2016, September of 2016. Interesting, because I think it was in 2013 when the uh, there was the famous sighting over the USS Nimitz of the Tic Tac. Correct. And it came out, yeah. I guess, in 2017, about a year and a half later. Right. The video was, was available. You know, right now. Gave us a little bit of a drip. Right. Uh, only because they were being persistently hounded um, by uh, certain individuals. Um, well, probably a lot of different people, so I'm not going to bother naming names. But um, yeah, there's there's been a lot of people who are really, that has been their focus is um, uh, is attempting to persuade or to um, to push for uh, freedom of freedom of information mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. those kinds of disclosure uh, side of things. Um, so what so this tic tac, um, I assume it was moving in the sky. Actually, it was stationary stationary. No windows, no nacelles um, appeared as a solid object, no yeah. wings. Uh, definitely oblong, glistening white. It, oh. it reflected white. It reflected the daylight. Okay. I uh, got to see it for about three seconds. And then all of a sudden, it's gone. It was gone. Like, how did it, how did it? You know, that's a very good question. I've got three answers. Okay. Uh, it either took off so fast, I couldn't see it. Yeah. It either went into another dimension or it cloaked and right. i'm i'm putting my money on the last option yeah that's interesting that you bring that up i've i haven't i've been trying to find good videos and you know they're hard to come by uh because a lot of a lot of um witness eyewitnesses um are either you know they don't have their phone or they're it's too shaky and it looks like like you can't tell what it is um or whatever so i i really put a lot of stock in um the eyewitness reports 
in terms of like your your description and because really that's kind of what we got right now we don't have good pictures um but i have seen a couple of videos that might have been real um that to me seemed like um uh, a ship was either uh, uncloaking or cloaking and um so to to say that you or for you to say that you saw that happen uh right in front of your eyes is quite astounding um the last thing i was thinking about was taking my cell phone out of my pocket i was trying yeah. to tell you what i'm seeing or what was i really seeing it exactly and if you had started fumbling with your phone you wouldn't have seen it oh i would have by the time i looked back <laughs> yeah up, it would have been gone it, yeah um so yeah, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not like mourning the the lack of video really in any way. I think that um, it, that's one thing that that maybe needs to change more in the community is that we just need to take people seriously when they tell us what they saw. Um, well, back then you wouldn't want to have told too many people. I uh, just yeah. told my Sunday school class, my wife, and a few close friends, and that's really about it. Really, eh? so, you yeah. know, it was still kind of taboo to talk about, but since it's come out on the TV now, uh, yeah, it's really changed a lot. It's vindicated, really. So, yeah, it's really just been the last two or three years where the culture has really kind of started to shift. On yes, that. sir. Yeah. Um, how I guess you didn't have a lot of time to see it, but for that three seconds. Uh, you told me that you were able to ascertain um, an estimate of the size of the ship or the the, the object, I guess, let's say. That's a guesstimate. Um, yeah. And then, so along with that, how, um, what elevation would you put it at? Like how high off the ground was it? Well, I was on about 900 elevation. And I originally had guessed maybe it was 2,000 feet. Now I'm thinking it's more like 1,500. I have gone back several times to look, and I'm guessing okay. it's about 1,500. So so in terms of how far above you, like 1,000 feet? or No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the 1,500. That's what I mean when I say oh, that. Oh, okay, above, above yeah. yourself. Yeah. Okay. Which is, which is pretty far. It is. I can't remember how many feet are in a mile because I, I we use kilometers up here, but um, it's that's still about uh, that's about five hundred. Uh, that's about meters. a quarter of a mile, maybe. Yeah, about a half a kilometer. That that's a good fair distance. Um, so I mean, what kind of stuff flies in that? Not not birds. Like no, birds aren't that high. Well, I and mean, you wouldn't see a bird that was that high anyway. No. No, um, no, yeah, but it was literally right. It was directly over my head, so it was a crystal clear day, blue sky, and uh, just sitting there, easy to see. Yeah, do you feel like it was watching you, or aware That's that you were question. there? Even? I, I've always have had an open mind, and I'm thinking it, it just let me know that it was there, right. Let me know that I'm not alone, and we're not alone in the universe. Uh, and so that, from that, that standpoint, it just wanted me to see it. Let's put it that right. way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
So that's a pretty startling revelation, though, isn't it? It was for me. Uh, mm -hmm. I grew up, you know, Southern Baptist, Southern Methodist. All UFOs are from the devil. Right. Kind of thing. So, you know, the earth is 6,000 years old. Right. Um, yeah. It, it, and, it, it changed me. That's for sure. Yeah. And I've had a whole bunch of realities that have opened up for me uh, since then. Right. So in in that framework, and, and I think this is true um, both within Christianity and, and probably um, most of the other world religions, and even in the secular world, there seems to be a um, sort of a base assumption that humans are like the pinnacle. Uh, the, you know, in Christianity, we would, would say the, the pinnacle of creation, whereas maybe a, a secular um, person wouldn't, wouldn't use that exact same phrase. But there's still that, uh, still that mentality that we are the top or the top of the food chain, as it were, um, which is, I find kind of strange. But I, I understand why it's there, because that idea is just baked into um, both uh, on the religious side, it's that I, it, I guess it comes from the idea that God created uh, a bunch of stuff and then he created man and put man in charge. Uh, but even on the secular side, it seems that um, uh, through the Enlightenment and the Renaissance and uh, uh, the various um, philosophical kind of um, uh, frameworks that we have come through in the last mm, probably 500 years, um, it's been this very uh, this concept that you know the Greeks were had some good stuff and then the Romans did even better and now we're always just building on that and we're just getting so awesome um, <laughs> well like where's the evidence that we've gotten any better okay sure we're, we've we've built some really cool tech um, and we can do a lot of things that uh, that you know we haven't been able to do in the past that in at least in our remembered past maybe maybe we could do some of these things uh, 10,000 years ago who knows um but at least in the last several thousand years that that are recorded um nobody's done the cool stuff that we've done so therefore we're the best um but at the same time we're still destroying each other and exactly. uh, you know ripping uh, shooting out our the platform that we're standing on um yeah like it seems that um maybe it's time to to start thinking more like uh gene roddenberry or you know even i'm Anthony. all for that ken i'm all <laughs> for that yeah because it seems like we're at a bit of a dead end here and we maybe need to expand uh, not only our thinking, but our um, our footprint as well onto other planets. If and we haven't maybe done we are so already. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's a good question. Do, I wonder if um, whoever's out there are, are like how, how closely related to us they are like, have we come from them or have they come from us or have we both come from the same, um, you know, ancestral route before we even got to earth? Any thoughts I on that? I believe we're creatures of our environment for the most part. 
And if you look, if you look at all the purported alien races, maybe uh, with the reptilians and the mantis aside, you know, we still have two arms, two legs, two eyes, ears, a mouth, a nose, I, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I'm more inclined to think we're all brothers and sisters uh, and we're on our own paths and there's one God of the universe and we all are his or her children. That, that's, mm -hmm. that's my viewpoint now. Right. And this so, God, by the way, and, and I'm sure you know, you know this, it's, it's for me now, it's not the God of the Old Testament. Right, right. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, both you and I have written books where there's clearly some major discrepancies be, between uh, what we were taught in Sunday school and oh, what the boy. Bible actually oh, says boy. and who God really gives is. Gives me a headache. Yeah, I exactly. Um, I went along with blinders so long it's almost embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, the I find this topic fast possibly more fascinating than than even than UFOs is just that um you know what how I mean aside from how even how it happens or or what any of that stuff which which are baffling questions. Um, but just to even just to explore some of these things where uh, everything, it seems that everything that I was taught is wrong. And, uh, and, and that goes, that's true of uh, what I was taught in church, as well as what I was taught in, in other places as well. Uh, but some of the church stuff is really interesting because it's, it rocks you to the core uh, because it's, you know, you've been drilled in for many years that these are the um, ultimate important things that you need to know. And then and you, they all and start you know to this, the, the mantra has been the same for the last 1600 years. It's an agenda. Yeah. Let, let's count the ways. Reincarnation disappeared. Uh, the Apostles' Creed says that there's one son of God when the Bible Front and back is full of sons and daughters of God, including right. us. Right. Um, um, there, there's just so much that there's crafts throughout the Bible, and these expositors, if 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 they don't want to come out and say it, so they're real good at making up something to fit the agenda. And I've seen that so <laughs> many times in so many different places. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's an example of. And you know this uh, cloaked crafts in, in the Bible with Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha in Second Kings. Uh, they were there all, all along and he prayed for his servant to have his eyes opened and they were opened and bingo, here's all these chariots of fire. All oh, right. They were there already, just couldn't see them. Yeah. Oh, so there's chariots of God throughout. Um, we're taught that this one God is is... Uh, this Yahweh God is, is Jesus's father, and they give us the lineage going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I don't see it because it's different as day and night. Uh, the attributes of Yahweh versus the attributes of Jesus are 180 degrees difference, as, as you know. And, well, you know, I mean, yes, I totally get what you're saying. Um, However, I think maybe it's more complicated than that. 
uh, because um, as I've been researching the last while, it's it's a lot of these things where um, in the Old Testament where Yahweh is portrayed, um, you know, in, in sometimes in ways that are he kind of looks like a jerk, like frankly. Um, that you're being kind. <laughs> well, yes. Look However, at all the, look at all the murders. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Israelites did. Right. So, but but here's the thing. Once you start to drill into the text, um, and you don't, you may or may not have to use any Hebrew interpretation here, uh, because some of them are are kind of just. Um, almost clear even in the english translation what for example if you look at um the there was this time in when in during the exodus when um there was the snake bites right remember that and um however it's really not clear what was what really happened there was there a snake or was there some kind of ufo or was there some kind of flying ship um that as I'm reading it now, it seems to it seems to be talking about an accident um, that that in, basically infected uh, a whole bunch of people, and to the point where they were um, probably going to die from radiation poisoning. And if that's the case, uh, perhaps it was like more of a mercy mercy thing that uh, Yahweh decided to to kill those people. So all I'm saying is I'm not saying either way, but there's different ways that you can read some of these passages and with dramatically different interpretations. Um, one thing that I'm working on right now uh, for, uh, for maybe my next book or at least uh, another book coming down the pipe um, along the way is um, in the book of Job where we, we generally read the book of Job as, um, you know, a poor guy and all this bad stuff happens to him. And then uh, God comes along and gives him what for and just yells at him. Well, so that mostly occurs in, in uh, Job 38. But as I'm reading Job 38, and I'm actually drilling into the Hebrew words, um, we have got that chapter so backwards and so twisted up. Um, I don't I don't see that as God asking Job questions at all. In fact, I think that he uh, Yahweh has come and he's telling Job and his friends a story about uh, how we ended up being on earth. And so that's a that's an yeah, uh, and it's it's so crazy. Like when I've got a whole at, problem with the Job story anyway. Well, it's weird, right? Like the whole story well, is mean, weird. I mean, you know, the, he had the ten children, and, and, and they mm. get killed in the windstorm, and and then to make it up, he gets double all of his cattle and belongings, which are material items, and then the mm. ten children get replaced. Well, what happened to the original ten children? You can't tell me that just because you get ten new children replaces your original ten children. Well, unless they and were all this is because of a dare. Yeah, well, that makes you wonder: is that is that story about his children being reincarnated? Well, I have thought about that. Just just like when you read in the Old Testament, the sins of the uh, the fathers go down generations. Mm -hmm. uh, 
if you just read that, you know, verbatim, it, 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 that's unfair. But what if they're really referring to, well, this is the same person in different incarnations that, that, that would face the penalty instead of somebody new and innocent? Right. I thought about that, too. Yeah, it could be that. Or, I mean, I also am working on this really crazy theory where uh, I can't really explain it at, at, at this point, but um, uh, yeah, you know what? I don't even think I can <laughs> even start to talk about that one. But okay, so let's say that one possibility there is that um, that it involves reincarnation. And I think a strong um, indicator of that is the uh, transfiguration uh, where Jesus is standing on the mountain and with uh with i believe it's uh john and peter i, I could have the and james all and three james. right it, that's his inner circle yeah and so these four guys are standing there and all of a sudden there's two more guys and so the apostles look at jesus and they're like what's happening and jesus doesn't say anything he just starts talking to these guys so the disciples uh turn amongst themselves and they're like what is happening and they clearly uh, believed in in um, uh, reincarnation because the only answers that they uh, could come up with was it's Elijah or it's um, Abraham, I believe it was Moses. Moses, Moses. Uh, which which is interesting. Um, like, why would they why would they say that unless they how didn't would they that... know that there were no cameras, no pictures? How right. would they know that? Right um i i almost wonder if in if instead of moses it would make more sense for them to have said elijah and enoch uh because those two guys both got taken up into the sky for, and it reads very very uh suspiciously like a tractor beam uh, going into a metallic spaceship and um, what was the cloud hiding yeah Always clouds, always on tops of mountains, always voices coming from the cloud, always looking up where the light comes from. Right. That's everywhere. Right. So it's interesting, too, because there's clouds and there's also fire in almost every one of these occasions. And well, thunder. Where there's, yeah. So where there's smoke, there's fire. And where there's thunder and fire and smoke, I'm thinking some kind of rocket. But the thing that i'm stumbling on is why would they have rockets uh okay so granted these these instances occurred um a couple thousand years ago at at the late at the earliest so sorry at the latest so the transfiguration was 2000 years ago um moses was uh at least a thousand years before that um and abraham was uh probably 500 years before him right. i i peg abraham at around 2500 bc um, i might be a little bit off so so if we're looking at a 2000 let's say let's say a 2000 year period uh from 4000 years to 2000 years ago um and then we jump to uh, now our, as our modern ufo phenomenon this seem, it seems to be using different technology Back in the day of the Old Testament, um, the 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 descriptions read like a rocket from the 1970s, which is really weird 
uh, because you can't get anywhere from any planet uh, through, you know, to Earth, like light years away uh, with 1970s style rockets. They just don't go fast enough. Um, that, is so, that is true. <clears throat> so uh, that's one that's one part that I have no explanation whatsoever uh, on. However, it's I find it intriguing that um, Zechariah Sitchin really latched onto the whole rocket thing. Um, and there's a lot of things that Sitchin says that I disagree with, but I think he's got some of the fundamental stuff correct. Um, and he really seems to be into this whole rocket idea. I don't know if you're familiar with Sitchin's work or interested in I've got all of his books. I've read about three of them. Yeah, so he talks- The rest are in the stack to read, but other books like yours keep popping up. (laughs) Well, that's good. Thank you for prioritizing me over Sitchin. (laughs) He's got so many books, it's going to take you years to get caught up. But um, what do you think of this? So he he uses the word Shem. Now, mind you, he's using the Sumerian source material not Hebrew, um, but it's intriguing to me that Shem uh, pops up in Hebrew as well. And it does so in a couple of different ways. Number one, and probably most obviously, Shem is the name of one of Noah's sons. He had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Um, so that's that's interesting. But Shem what, was what the oldest. Okay. However, what I'm finding is... Um, uh, so this is this is getting really tangential, and this is not what I had really prepared to talk about. But hey, what the hell? Let's do it. Um, so uh, you know, of course, that the Elohim ends in im, which is a suffix in Hebrew, which means plural. Oh. Right. But not only plural; it's also a plural being, like it's indicating that there's some kind of male and female. Yeah either yeah exactly so there's an entity it's a at least reasonably intelligent because sometimes the em suffix is used on animals uh but most of the time it's on humans or better and so what are these better things well we've got cherubim we've got seraphim uh we've got now this is where it gets interesting to me and i'm sort of one of the main focuses of one of my books i'm working on now is that you also have a few other of these Im uh, people who nobody seems to know about yet. And those, the Mayim and the Shemim, which fascinatingly, the root word here is Shem, uh, which is again, back to this Zechariah Sitchin thing. So according to Sitchin, Shem means rocket. Now I know that um, language um can drift and and I know that language influences other languages, especially ones that are in next door countries or regions. And so we know that Sumeria was uh, fairly close to um, Israel and Canaan. And so there's it's entirely likely that there was uh, there was um, you know they were influencing each other in terms of their language and their culture. Well, we know that for a fact because the Old Testament talks about it uh, very specifically. It says that the Canaanites um, worshipped different gods, yep. and many of these gods are are um, have been basically tied archaeologically uh, tied to the Sumerian and Babylonian 
it's mostly Babylonian because of the time frame. Uh, the Sumerian was earlier than than Babylon, um, but we also uh, have the fact that um, the original Hebrew language did not use the same letters that it uses now. Different, they used to use a different alphabet. So there's my, my are, studies have taught taught me that, uh, and maybe you can you know elaborate on this, but there was only about seven thousand Hebrew words at the time the, the texts were written. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't actually looked at that. Compared to um, our 150,000 or, or more yeah. words today. That seems uh, that seems believable to me, although I, I haven't looked into that. But what I was going to say was that the language that we know as Hebrew, um, in terms of the Hebrew alphabet uh, that is in use today, uh, was actually stolen from a Babylonian alphabet. Uh, so this happened during the time of the uh, the Babylonian ca captivity uh, under Nebuchadnezzar and those those other kings like him. Five eighty six BC. Yeah. So so the Israelites and literally the Hebrew Bible is written in Canaanite script. Or sorry, not Canaanite script. Yeah, it's written in Babylonian. Um, I think possibly Akkadian. Uh, script that that they so basically the even if we had the 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 oldest hebrew translations or sorry original texts um of the bible they're still actually translated because they went from the old proto-hebraic language language which used canaanite alphabet um and they they were translated into the babylonian alphabet so already here, the Bible that we have that sort of accessible because, um, you know, the, the Hebrew language is, is very fascinating. Um, we're very lucky that it was preserved the way it has been so that we can, uh, we can still access this very old um, copy of the, of the Hebrew scriptures in what we now consider to be the Hebrew language. But really, it's a Babylonian script, so that places it at around, you know, like you said, 600, 500 BC, um, whereas the stories that were supposedly written by Moses uh, came from, if Moses wrote those stories down, he did so a thousand years earlier and in a different language. Well, I, uh, I think most of the scholars now are pretty well convinced that Moses did not write the Torah. Yeah, and you know, I I think that the, there's strong evidence for that. Um, but whatever, even if he did, um, it's not. We don't have the original language. Um. Mm. So yeah, okay. So I was talking about the Shemim. Um, but anyway, uh, I can't remember where I was going with it. But um, look for my book in the future, or I'll I'll probably send you a copy when um when i get this book done it's going to be uh quite fascinating because there's all there's the mayim and the shemim uh which we we don't truly know how to interpret but they yeah, do I've appear i have not heard those names I've yeah heard and the nephilim and the cherubim and seraphim exactly exactly so i'm i'm digging into some virgin territory here which is super weird because um there have been bible scholars for uh, I don't know for how long. When did people start getting into 
the type of Bible scholarship that, that we see now with seminaries and that kind of thing. I mean, that people must have been interested in that a thousand years ago. Maybe there was only one or two people. I don't know. But how is it possible that all of this, all this time, and, and I really, it really makes me wonder what, uh, what people, what Hebrew people, like what do Isra Israelis who are Jewish, um, how do they deal with these uh, discrepancies in the text where, so the reason you have never heard of the Mayim is because every time that word comes up, um, and it comes up thousands of times, this is no, uh, this is not a rare word. This is no hapax legomena here. Um, the Mayim are mentioned in the Old Testament thousands of times. I think it was over to, over 2,000. Um, but every time they come up, they are translated as water. It's the waters. And I think in some of those cases, um, I think that is an accurate translation. Um but I think that that use case for um, for Mayim um, being connected to water is because of the original use of the original meaning of the word, which with the I am ending clearly has has to do with some kind of entity, some kind of living entity. So that's what I'm exploring there. Um, Interesting. It's it's insane, uh, like the stuff that the that the Old Testament says about the Mayim. Um, not only the fact that they're there, uh, but they are. Um, get this in in Job. Um, it talks about how the Mayim were put in charge of the earth. What? I thought the humans were put in charge of the earth. And um, so you're, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the book of Genesis and the first couple chapters fairly intimately. So in chapter two, uh, we talk, uh, is it chapter two where, um, or uh, towards the end of chapter one, where man, uh, after God makes man, he blesses him. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And uh, basically says, you're in charge now. However, the really strange part about that is if you go back to Genesis 1.21, which is before that happened, um, God says the exact same thing to the Mayim. So the Mayim are created before the humans and they're blessed. This is the only two times that the Elohim uh, used this phrase, uh, be fruitful and multiply. And um, and he, so he tells it to the Mayim, and then later on, he tells it to humans. So that's not in the Sunday school teaching that I heard. Could that be part of the dichotomy that's present in Genesis? Because you know there's more than one writer. Yes. There seems so, to be two story scripts as you read, mm -hmm. and, and so, some of them don't match. Right. So you're, you're probably going to be... Uh, you're probably referring to the documentary hypothesis, where supposedly there was a a group of the Yahwists and a group of the Elohists, and then there was another a third group who later on did something. So basically, the idea is um, they mashed two different versions of Genesis into one. Yeah, 
I, that's a it cool idea. Too, it didn't work too good it, for me. It didn't work well, um, but I also think that it's, um, I, I actually think that that's just entirely wrong. Even though it's true to a degree, um, I don't see it as two parallel accounts. Um, I do see that there's definitely multiple creation stories happening in the early chapters of Genesis. So between um, chapter one and, and chapter probably five, uh, maybe maybe even just chapter three, um, I have identified uh, at least three different narratives and possibly up to six different narratives where they're, it's not just telling the same story in a different way, it's telling a different story that explains the same thing. Um, so like, I, the, I think the most um, clear part that that explains that is if you look at um, Genesis 1-1, you know, it's the seven days of creation. It's the story that everyone knows. Um, and then if you look at the second part in Genesis 2, I guess, 2 or 3, wherever the next story starts, which is where uh, we end up with um, with Adam and Eve, in that story, so first of all, there in the in the first story, there's no Adam and Eve. There's just okay, he created a bunch of stuff and then he created man. In the second story, he created Adam and Eve. But this is not a continuation of the first story. This is a second story with a fresh start. So if you if you find the Adam and Adam and Eve story and then scroll back a bit to where it um, where it starts you find a description of what the earth was like before uh, before men and Adam and Eve were created. And that description is ex entirely different from any of the descriptions of the days of the week uh, that, that occurred in the first creation story. So it's impossible to reconcile Genesis 1 with Genesis 2. They're totally different stories. Interesting. Yeah. And and again, you know, why don't why don't they just teach us, hey, there's two really cool stories. We have to learn one story. And they so to do that, they they have to skip those verses. So um you've probably never heard, I wish I could remember what the actual verses are right now, um, because I bet you've never heard a sermon on those verses. Uh, and another thing so I like that you brought up um, in your book you were talking about um, in Exodus Exodus 24 where um, Moses and his buddies go up to the mountain go up Mount Sinai and they see the face of God which is weird because also right in that same section um, it says no one's allowed to approach the face you're, of God. you're exactly correct yeah that's often overlooked it's it's always overlooked because no one's ever said it you don't preach a sermon that and and show your own discrepancies well you should be because if you're preaching the word uh preach the text that's in front of you and you don't have to do any digging it's right there it's in every single english translation that is one place where that contradiction is just a few lines away now, first John even, says nobody sees God anyway, and I, I'm right. a first John believer, so. Right. 
Well, so how, how do you reconcile those? Now, it's even crazier than you have already pointed out because um, go back and read that chapter again and you'll notice there was actually 75 people well, with Moses. Well, the 70 that went up too. Yeah. Plus, plus Aaron and his two sons. Yeah. And Moses. Yeah. And but there were other people. There were other people that saw this Yahweh character also. Uh, yeah. Laura for sure. Right. So seventy-five people are going up a mountain, and they sit down and actually have supper with the Elohim. Is what it the says in there. inside the yeah. ship. Yeah. Exactly. That even without a ship, even if you just read it as guys going up a mountain and there's no UFOs at all, uh, how is it possible that seventy-five men sit down uh, with the Elohim for dinner. Well, like last I checked, the concept of God that, that I've been taught, he doesn't have dinner, you know, and <laughs> he sits on his throne. So why is he sitting on a mountain having dinner? This is really weird. Well, when, for me, when, <clears throat> I, when I read about the throne that, that, that they see and that uh, John in the New Testament saw, that's, that's just the control central for the ship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or I, I've I've found some evidence that indicates it's either it could be a um, like a almost like a Captain Kirk kind of a thing where you know that that's exactly correct. Or I fully believe it, that actually. Yeah, I I think so. I think so for sure. In some of the in some of the descriptions, it seems that way. Um, but specifically in the Exodus 24, to me, it sounds like, um, I don't think Yahweh was actually on board the ship. I think that there was a, a bunch of crew mem members, um, the Elohim. And, but it seems from the description of how, of what they call his throne. And oddly, they talk a lot about the floor, this blue amazingly beautiful transparent sapphire floor and um so to me that sounds like some kind of hologram where yahweh is uh is skyping or zooming in uh to the 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 feast that these Could guys be. these humans and elohim are having but I, I see connections between that what ezekiel saw and what john saw all three Yes, absolutely. And they all use um, very similar terminology. Exactly. Uh, some of the words are different, but if you look at the descriptions of what they're trying to say, uh, they match up very closely. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. And the Ezekiel, the Ezekiel's a really interesting um, reference point because he, uh, he has not one but um i can't remember how many exactly but he has several uh, separate different instances where he has some kind of visitation and for, you know we all, we we generally are familiar with the wheels within wheels and and that one which comes from ezekiel 1 which is his first encounter and this guy is dumbfounded. He is baffled. He has no idea what's happening. So he tries to explain it. Like, I think he just went home and wrote in his diary and was just like, what was that? And he just start kind of descri described it the best he can. Later on, um, 
after several more of these encounters, he begins to uh, learn some of the lingo. Um, he's there's actually a, a quote in there where he says that he he heard some of these components called by name. So somebody there like and he's talking about cherubim and seraphim and and all these things and he apparently um some of these uh, some of these beings were either telling him what stuff was called or like what they called it or explaining things or you know trying to teach him about the craft uh, almost giving him like a walkthrough or um maybe they weren't talking to him but he just overheard them talking to each other uh, much like we would hear today if we uh, happen to be at Cape Canaveral when the space shuttle is launching and they're saying things like engine check, engines go, stuff like that. Like this is the kind of stuff that it sounds like he's hearing. Um, and he's able to describe his uh, these later um, experiences with a lot more, well, with different different detail and with different words and he's because he's learned what some of these lingo things are and um some of that some of that is the the cherubim um which we still really have no clue what the cherubim is um but i i look at that in quite a bit of detail in my book and look at a few different possibilities but they're, they're certainly not uh, a man with a pair of white uh, feathery wings well, that's what we've been taught. That's the picture, yeah. you see. Right. And another weird part about it is, um, so remember when the cherubim were supposed to be on top of the Ark of the Covenant, right? Yep. So, <clears throat> um, so Yahweh um, tells... They're at the Garden of Eden too, aren't they? They were. They were there oh, with a yeah. flaming sword. Yep. Um, so... The, the understanding that we're taught is that Yahweh told Moses how to build the Ark of the Covenant and that he needed to carve out these um, golden cherubim or like cast them in gold, <clears throat> which is highly unbelievable when you read the Ten Commandments, because what is the second commandment? You shall not make any image of anything under in the sky or or on the earth so why would he immediately turn around and tell moses to do that it just doesn't make sense same way he told moses to kill all the medianites i guess i mean well um, maybe i i think that yahweh knows something that we don't know and so well, I'm, sure, I'm sure he does <laughs> i'm sure he does but uh you know, he was treated as a god. Although yeah. my, my studies seem, you know, what resonates with me is that he was a local god. This, Absolutely. This Yahweh god was definitely a local Canaanite god. Yeah. And he well, really that... was was maybe a relative or a son of El, which was the chief Canaanite god. Yeah. That's, I, I don't interpret El as a god because in my in my etymological understanding, El just means still the Elohim. It's always the plural, even if the em isn't there. It's the short form, I guess. But I mean, it's possible. It's it's entirely possible. Um, 
what other evidence have you seen in the in the Bible itself, like within the biblical text, uh, that would indicate that Yahweh is is local rather than universal? Well, things I have read, like um, let me give you an example. He it was possibly a local god uh, of copper smelting. Mm. You know that that's. That's one line of thought. Another another thought, he was the local god of the Shasu, which were basically cattle, you know, nomads. And okay. that's actually on some text that have been found in Egypt that said okay. Yahweh was, was the god of the Sashu. So those are the two general mainline uh, avenues that seem to support that Yahweh was a very uh, local god. As you know, information on Can on Canaan is hard to come by because you know over time and all the wars and whatnot, it's pretty much vanished. But uh, right, well, serious, so. I wonder how much of that stuff Joshua personally smashed and burned. Right, like they were really on a tirade there. Good question. But there is but, that one phrase in the Bible that you know Joshua actually made an altar to El. It wasn't to Yahweh. Specifically, it was to El, so it was either uh -huh. to the chief god or, as you might say, the Elohim. Right. It wasn't to Yahweh. Right. Unless Yahweh might have been one of the Elohim. Well, that I'm 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 pretty convinced of that. Yeah, I, I think so. But I'm also convinced that Baal may have been one, also. Yeah, Baal. Yeah. So, so here's where it gets kind of strange and interesting in the. In some of the, uh, there's this set of, I guess I'll say documents, although I'm still not really clear on what, what these are when people are referring to the Ugaritic texts. And so Ugaritic is another language that, um, that was uh, roughly contemporarily with, um, with either the Israelite occupation of Canaan or um, sometime during the Babylonian period or or some, I, I, I need to do more research in that. But these texts um, re apparently refer to the 70 sons of, um, uh, I've, the, there's another God that is supposedly, there was a God who had 70 sons and he parceled well, out all the- had 70 children. Okay, yeah. So this is the same story, but there's some regional twists on it and maybe different names. Well, I'm, I'm uh, sure. Yeah. They were so, both male and female, by the way. And and this L possibly had a wife. Right. And just, just like you and me, uh, they had children. His wife's name was Ashua, and she was venerated all through the Jewish culture, even in Solomon's temple. <clears throat> when the Bible yeah. got written, it was a man's world, so she got axed in Jehovah. Right inserted and right. uh, now jehovah has been taken out and asher has been put back 40 times in the niv oh okay all right is, is that asherah is that what you're saying uh -huh. asherah okay so they have i i remember the asherah poles that, where... that's, what, that's what that is yeah so venerated by a pole or a stick or sometimes okay. a tree so some of the israelite kings uh, we're into worshiping Asherah, worshiping, I'll use the term loosely, um, and some of them were directly opposed to it. So it's kind of like what happens uh, every time there's an election and, and you get 
you switch back and forth between rep- Republicans and Democrats, all of a sudden some of the laws change, um, or at least they try to change them, right? Not always successfully. Um, but you see this happening through the Old Testament tons of times. Every time, not every time there's a new king, but uh, depending on um, uh, which king uh, dies and whoever takes over next, mm-hmm. you get this waffling back and forth. And some of the kings were very, um, very adamant that only Yahweh was to be uh, worshipped. And and so they would go around and they would cut down all the Asherah poles and they would kill the priests of Asherah and do all kinds of terrible things. Then usually when the uh, when the Asherah people came back into into power, they seemed to be a lot nicer. They weren't going around killing all the Yahweh people. So maybe that's interesting, but um, maybe that's because they were more had more of a balance between the feminine side. Um, well, Yahweh had a propensity <clears throat> to murder and to kill. I mean, he had yeah. very little respect for human life, in, in my opinion. I mean, look yeah. at everybody that got killed, and they weren't put in jail, and they weren't indoctrinated, they weren't given land, they were murdered and set to. Yeah, I mean, right. Tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I can't even argue. Um, yeah, that like the Canaanites were just completely. And then going back to the Ten Commandments, "Thou shalt not murder." Right. Unless I tell you to. Right. Unless it's somebody I don't like. But so so why would Yahweh not like these people? If Yahweh was the creator of all people, you would think that he would like all of his children. But Yahweh wasn't the creator, and nor did he ever claim to be. Because Exactly. Back, he never claimed to be. Back in Genesis, it's not it's Yahweh. It's Israel's God. Israel's right. God. Right. The God of so, Israel. So... Um, Joshua, when when Joshua took over from Moses after Moses' death, uh, Joshua said a very strange thing. And he's he's talking to the people. It's basically his coronation, his first day as leader of Israel. And so he gives a big speech. And what he says there is a very famous uh, line, which I'm sure you will recognize immediately. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve Yahweh is literally what it says. So what? why does he say that? Well, reading back a couple, just a couple verses ahead of that, um, he here's how he prefaces that statement. Uh, so he's telling the entire nation of Israel, hey, you guys, I'm your new leader, yay. And he goes, okay, so remember when Abraham came out of the came across the river and his father and his father's father so Terah and um um Haran uh <clears throat> literally this is this is what um Joshua says Terah and Haran worshiped other gods across the river so now Abraham came across the river and he stopped worshiping those gods and he started following Yahweh. And so you guys can basically what he's saying is if I'll paraphrase a little bit is he's saying uh, you guys can choose to do whatever you want. I'm not I'm your new leader, but I'm not really interested in like trying to control you really. So you guys choose. I'm going to choose to follow Yahweh. You guys feel free to choose 
Terra and Haran's gods that you that your grandfather great great grandfather used to worship. Go ahead. Now, it doesn't say anything about the territory there in terms of like if they were going to choose that, would they have to go back to across the river, which was by the way Sumeria, which is where Sumer, um, which is where uh, also uh, Babylon and um, the Akkadian uh, texts are from. So I find it fascinating that uh, as soon as Abraham crossed the river, he was seems to be under the authority of a different Elohim. That brings up an interesting point. Um, I have read, and I put this in my book, that uh, this El, or Elohim, mm -hmm. with the 70 children, he gave each of the children specific parcels of land on this planet. Right. So tell me that there were multiple gods everywhere, <clears throat> including right. the L, including other gods. And the and, and the word gods, plural, you know, as you know, is mentioned throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. I mean it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's far more common than than the word Yahweh. Exactly. <clears throat> well, I think that uh I think that, yeah, this has been something that was probably intentionally covered up because at some point somebody decided um, in somewhere in Judaism that, um, oh, yeah, no, there's only one God. No, there's only ever always been one God. So it seems like they sort of tried to change the story. You know, poor um, Jerome must have had his work cut out trying to appease <laughs> the canonists the new leaders of the church trying to appease the, the, the Jews on one side, the Greeks on the other, trying to buy, put all this together in one book. Yeah. I don't think it should have ever been bound together. I think the Hebrews should have had their own own book with, you know, with their own God. And then the new Testament would be something separate focused on Jesus. That's my personal opinion, but <clears throat> I have a that's... hard time connecting the two anymore. I mean, it's just yeah. day and night. That's a fascinating idea. I would I, I would actually go one further. I would say that there should be one on there should be the Old Testament separate, there should be the Gospels separate, and then all the stuff that Paul wrote. I was gonna say all the crap that Paul wrote, but you know <laughs> because Paul does not reflect the teachings of Jesus in any way, shape, or form. There is in a my opinion. There yeah. is a difference. Yeah. And you're not the only one to have that opinion, by the way. I've I've read other opinions that concur with you. Okay. It's so I guess that's really the key is that there's there's these things that are like so huge. Um that why don't why aren't we talking about them? Like I guess what would what would have happened? If uh, if somebody pointed out these these things that you're pointing out and and that I'm pointing out and that there's a few other authors uh, right now who have who are, who are putting out these books like this where it's like hey the Elohim are plural guys hey what's going on I know exactly what what would happen the coffers would dry up in the mainstream denominations that's exactly what would happen why do you think pardon. Well, I wonder why. Like, I mean, you're probably right, but I, what's the logical flow 
is it because is can we should we factor in hell here is is the real factor that hell is is a fake fake news no. that's trying to scare everyone into that's causing the, that's one of the schisms in the methodist church right now there, there's uh several pastors even here locally that don't believe in hell and 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 that's really rubbing the conservatives the wrong way right and so. and it's it's interesting to note and probably most people haven't noticed this but hell is not a part of the bible until paul comes along jesus doesn't talk about hell hell is not in the old testament and Ju judaism still doesn't have a concept of hell um so the only thing i can find about hell was the north side of the third level if you read the book of enoch it's a cold dark place to be <laughs> tormented but right. supposedly in all these levels that's still part of the kingdom of heaven so you okay, it's open but enoch wasn't but enoch was talking about like probably different planets and stuff could very well have been i, I mean, don't know knows? that i do not know that we're not supposed to know about Enoch, though, right? <laughs> well, then why do they believe him in there? I mean, it's referenced in, yeah. in Jude. Uh, yeah. That's another. That's another issue. Yours truly has. We have. We we either infer or mention other books. Right. Where are they? Where's the book? <clears throat> it's mentioned twice. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. If they're gonna do, if they're gonna try to expunge the book of Enoch. They probably should have taken that black marker to uh, to Jude and to Genesis six. <clears throat> so, but maybe they forgot, or they, you know, they didn't realize those were there. That's totally possible. Um, it, there's a couple of other instances like that that are super weird. Um, you uh, you already mentioned the Nephilim in in that same verse that talks about the Nephilim. It it says that they were the mighty men of old the in fact it's th this is where this comes back to the shemim thing i was talking about uh, because one possible interpretation of shemim is the famous ones and so this is what it, it works in the context here uh because um men genesis, of renown possibly yeah yeah exactly it's the men of renown so in genesis 6 they actually do translate shemim as uh, the famous guys, so they call them the men of renown, um, but then everywhere else they they translate it differently. So it's it's fascinating that um, there's this one reference left in there for these uh, basically these legendary dudes, right? Like the 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 Nephilim um, are the giants, the men of renown. Uh, the sons of the Elohim. Uh, oh, our Bibles are all over the place on Genesis <clears throat> six. Oh yeah, <clears throat> so I don't know what to make it. You know, who, they don't know what to make of it. Right, but here's the thing: if there are men of renown, that means they're famous. So basically, the writer of that chapter of Genesis six was saying, "Hey, I'm talking about something that you already know about because they're these famous guys from legend." From legend. Oh, you mean like from other books and stuff? Well, we're yeah, only in from... Genesis chapter six. Right. Exactly. So what legends are they talking about? They're talking about the Sumerian legends. Uh the Babylonian, the Sumerian to Akkadian to Babylonian tradition, which has guys like Ea 
and Enki and um, Enlil and Marduk. And a lot of these stories are uh, actually paralleling some of the stories that are in the Bible. But it's hard to tell. The Epic of Gilgamesh in the appendix of my first book, Crossing the Crevice. Right. That's basically, you know, the (laughs) description of the flood a thousand years before. Yeah, exactly. So so clearly there's, uh, I'm not going to necessarily call it uh, plagiarism, but clearly there's some retelling of the same old story, uh, which is which is good. And actually what you would expect, because that's what humans have been doing for a million years since we learned how to talk is we tell stories. So why suddenly try to cut off, uh, cut ourselves off from these ancient stories? I think there's that's a really terrible idea and there's some i I don't even know why what is the motivation behind it necessarily um but uh this is this again comes back to the the thing i was talking about of job 20 uh job 38 because job 38 uh the way i'm translating it by taking out all the words that are not supposed to be there and looking only at the hebrew words um i end up with a story uh, rather than a, a set of um, accusatory uh, insults um, from Yahweh. And Yahweh is actually uh, telling these guys a story. And that story is almost identical to the story of the Enuma Elish from the Sumerian myth. So the more you start to dig into this, the ancient texts, the more they all start to look the same. There's also parallels with... Um, some of these ancient Sanskrit writings from India, um, which so I'm ex- kind of trying to explore some of this stuff. But these um, gods, they these gods that that have been on this planet, regardless of location or culture, they always come down. They're yeah. never omni anything. Right. Why do you have to come down if you're God? Right. And and also well, they, they don't, don't simply... free fall when they come down either. Yeah, exactly. They and they don't have wings. They're they're never described with wings. They're described as being in the sky, uh, but not with bird with bird like wings. Um, they never come up from the ground. They never come out out of the water. Well, except for one of the Sumerian traditions, there's a, a guy who comes out of the water. Um, but yeah, almost in every case. They're, they're in the sky and they're flying around and they're moving fast. So what do I know that is in the sky and flies around and moves fast? A tic-tac. And you've seen and it with Joel your own says eyes. leaps from mountaintop to mountaintop. Right. Right. Which and, and that part rings strangely reminiscent of what Admiral Byrd said when he came back from Operation High Jump. High Jump. Right. Yeah. You know about right? high jump. They're able to fly from pole to pole very quickly. Exactly. There's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. A lot of people wrote that off as maybe him going a little bit crazy. But I, I, yeah. I, believe, I believe in what happened with Operation High Jump. You know what? If that guy was going crazy, there is no freaking way that the U.S. military would let him stay in charge of the entire navy fleet he he personally was the number one man in the navy um he served uh, very gallantly and bravely for many many years 
and was awarded many, many medals. Exactly. He was not, exactly. he was not given a dismissal. And we limped uh, back home. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's very and interesting, believe, too, that it was one year after World War II ended. Right. Very short time, actually. Right. Yeah, actually, uh, there's a ton of really cool videos out on, on YouTube about Operation High Jump. So uh, for any uh, of the listeners who are not familiar with it, go check some of those out. Um, one of the actually one one channel that I really like um, is called uh, the Y Files, and uh, he does he does a a really great investigation on Operation High Jump, although he concludes in the end that there were no UFOs and no aliens, which I'm meh, I, I don't know maybe he's maybe well, he's being a little too skeptical. Because there's, what I've read, there's some, this one quote: "They did come right out of the ocean." So. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of very strange things in that story, but also I believe there's also some parts of that story that were added later and probably are suspicious. Uh, so, but either way, um, do you guys do your own research on high jump, on UFOs, and on all this crazy stuff that we're talking about? Because Lord knows we do not want to um, uh, tell you what to believe. Uh, uh, we're just telling you that there's something strange going on. And when we started digging into it, uh, it only got stranger. So, these, cra these crafts have been with us since day one. And they're with yeah. us today. Yeah. And there, uh, there's been um, records of them all throughout sure. history. Uh, yep. In the medieval times, um, yeah, Roman Look at Empire. Nuremberg. Nuremberg was most, you know, back in the 1500s was was not that far back, and we have fairly good written documentation that two competing forces in the sky were battling each, each other. Right, right. Like, and, and that's also what happened in the in the um, in the Indian uh, the Bhagavad Gita, which is a very old story, which probably dates to around um, 5,000 years ago. And so uh, so we have the same type of thing where there's vehicles flying around shooting each other um, and uh, with possibly like lasers or torpedoes and maybe even with nuclear capability. Um, so yeah, there's just so much crazy stuff. Um, B, I guess, is there anything else that you wanted to touch upon? Oh boy! Like specifically, uh, I mean, yeah, we could go on for hours, I'm sure. But uh, this has been enlightening. <clears throat> um, yeah. You know, I guess going back to to me not subscribing to any individual, you know, mainstream religion. Now, if you think about it, neither Yahweh nor Jesus set any people out to destroy Hinduism. Right. And and Hinduism and, and Buddhism and Zoroastrianism and had all been, you know, in in their respective cultures and countries hundreds of years before Judaism. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> I, I haven't read any command aside from modern day uh Bible teachers or whatnot that that Christianity's you know the only truth out there. Everything else is a religion. 
I'm really bothered by statements like that now because, uh, you know, Jesus came to build up. He did not come to destroy. And, and nowhere did he say, you need to destroy all the other religions on the earth. Right. And, right. Uh, it, it, it kind of bothers me a little bit now. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm, I'm I, I, I take the good things out of all the religions. And yeah. I look at, at the... the the teachings of the individuals and i look at jesus now as a teacher more than a savior and if yeah. you focus on his teaching aspects i've come to realize that we really have learned very little <laughs> yeah well now, at, so now some people are going to come back and say well okay jesus said that you know i have come to turn brother against brother or something like that i for, i don't think i can quote it directly um, which is true. He did say something like that, but I don't think he meant what you think he meant. No, I don't think no. that he is giving you license uh, to go out and be a dick to your family or to disown your family. Um, I think what he's saying is once you realize the truth, you're, you may not have be able to hang around with some of the crowd that you that's exactly what he's saying that is exactly <clears throat> what he's saying yeah and if i had if i had to leave the listeners with with uh, a good verse it, it would be you know john 14 what you often hear at a funeral but later on in that same verse you know jesus says he's going away if he goes away uh it's good for us because we'll be able to do miracles and works greater than what he did right that's a, I found that to be a loaded statement because right. I know no, no one that's done works equivalent to Jesus, uh, let alone greater. Yeah. So it's talking about future incarnations. Well, okay. Let, let's dig into that a little bit. Like, okay. I went through a phase where uh, before I got into UFOs, I was, I was getting into Jesus and I was, I was reading the gospels and I read Matthew like five times in a year. And I noticed one thing, and that is this. Jesus was ultimately, first and foremost, a healer. He, every day, what he did was he would go out and he would heal people. Uh, there are only two occasions that I can think of. There, I might be missing one or two. I'm not perfect. Uh, there are only a couple of occasions where Jesus taught, like, in terms of, like, literally telling people stuff. Of course, he was teaching his disciples all the time with hands-on training. Uh, but there's the Sermon of the Mount is is kind of the, the main go-to uh, thing that we have where, you know, Jesus was, like, using our kind of style of teaching. Like, it almost looks like church. You know, there's a guy up there talking, and everyone's listening. That happened uh, two or three times with Jesus. That was not his everyday modality. His everyday modality was walking around, talking to people with, with no regard what's, whatsoever to their uh, race or class or any of that other background kind of stuff. Uh, he loved everyone unconditionally. He gave the same treatment to everyone, regardless of uh age and you know even even the um the sick and the the untouchables in his society 
he treated them the same way. He didn't care if you were poor or rich. Um, he didn't care if, if you could pay for his services. I believe that sometimes he did get paid for his services, um, but he didn't care. He would he would give you the same treatment no matter what. I can't and, find a place where he ever even touched money. Uh, you can make a case with um, with some of the women being uh, some of the women in his entourage were apparently very wealthy. Um, so, uh, I don't know. It's not really what I want to get into. I don't care either way whether whether Jesus was poor or rich. He didn't care about uh, about that for any of his people. Um, but what I did see is that he was healing. And so when I saw that, I I began to um, to try to do healing. And uh, I began to really seek out the Holy Spirit. And lo and behold, it worked. And I actually healed a number of people. And I myself was also healed. Um, now, I'm not well, doing I'd that. I'd like to talk about that sometime. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Let's let's uh, maybe come back uh, another day and talk about that. Um, but what I wanted to get at was um, he he did these things. And so when he says greater things you will do, it's it's greater than that. It's greater than healing. It's greater than walking on the water. Now, his disciples did heal as well. Paul and Peter, even though, you know, I'm not really a big fan of of Paul necessarily, uh, he did apparently do healing. Um, Peter also did healing. Uh, Paul might have been one of the best healers around. Uh, it says in one of his, uh, I think it was in Acts, uh, one of the stories of, of Paul was that he was on an island and he preached to the island and every single person on the island was healed. Well, I don't know how many people that was, but it was hundreds or thousands. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. And, and in a way that's greater than, uh, than what Jesus did, because I don't recall any instance of G of Jesus doing mass healings. Um, so when Jesus left and he said that, and he, and don't forget, this is the same, uh, basically the same time where, um, I guess it was a couple of days before. Uh, where he had, where the disciples were there and, and thought they saw the reincarnated um, Elijah and Moses. And then a couple of days later, Jesus himself seems to fly up into the sky. What? So do you think that Jesus was taken aboard a UFO? Definitely. A ship of some kind? Definitely. Yeah. I believe Jesus was in a UFO when he talked to Paul on the Damascus Road. Oh, yeah. Because the light shone down right. around Paul, just like it did the shepherds. It came from a craft. A voice was heard, just like right. the shepherds. There's always that voice emanating from the sky. Yeah. And Paul literally says right there that it was Jesus that talked to him. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think I noticed that part. I do talk about that occasion, but I don't, don't think I noticed that Jesus was in there. Which is and then where did Paul kind of go for obvious. training? He went to Saudi Arabia for training before he became a, an apostle. It's easy to think that you know he immediately became a, an apostle right after that experience. Yeah. He's, he went off to Saudi Arabia for three years of training, and nobody knows who really trained him. And then he comes back to be an apostle. Now this is some seven years after the apostles were chosen. 
And now he has powers he did not have before with that three years of training. And that's this was heal. That's when he could look at uh, Elimus and blind him. Uh, just okay. at him. He didn't have those powers before. He was a tent maker. This you was know, after his, his UFO experience. After his UFO yeah. experience and after his training in Saudi Arabia. So he sees, Paul sees a UFO. He hears Jesus talking to him from the UFO. Then he goes to Saudi Arabia. He's trained by someone who we don't know who. Then he comes back with miraculous powers. Yep. Yeah. Again, that's not how they teach it at church. <laughs> not either <laughs> no it's this training I, I i i make mention of that and that's why i interviewed one of the project stargate remote viewers for within grasp my my latest book yeah is, is all the brain power that we're not using and if you focus on jesus being a teacher and you focused on him teaching us to use our brains in different ways just like um, Peter stepping out of the boat. You know, right. he, the first step he took, he actually walked on water by himself right. until right. he panicked and called out to Jesus for help. So right. you know, I think Peter got a little bit of what Jesus was trying to teach. But right. uh, so, so is it possible that Jesus was actually trying, was maybe his mission was really to teach humankind how to, I'm going to say, regain uh, lost powers or skills um, of, that we would now call some kind of psionic or ESP or some type of these kinds of abilities. Possibly, seeing. yes, possibly. Um, yeah, and, and there's a couple of occasions in the Bible where people turned to one another and said to their friend, how does he know what I'm thinking? Right. Remember that? I think one of them was this. Yeah. So it seems like um, Jesus had uh, telepathic powers. Um, he definitely had some. I don't know. if Remember the lady who touched his coat? Who yeah, touched that's, right. that's right. That's um, right. There's a couple of scenes where Jesus is surrounded by crowds and he suddenly disappears either through teleportation or becoming invisible uh we don't we don't know the details but those are the only two ways that uh, that you can be surrounded in a crowd and suddenly you're not there um he, he either walked away and nobody saw him because he was invisible or he maybe shape-shifted or something too i guess there's a couple of different ways to do it but something strange is going on and then he goes up in his craft and uh and says that we're going to do even more um, so then you did mention, uh, John, the revelator. So the, the revelation of John is super weird. Um, I don't think anyone even claims to understand what, well, I mean, there's, there's well, first people of all, who, how do you see a door open in heaven? Yeah. For them, any heaven is anything looking up. Uh, right. And, and this door opens. What if it's a literal door? Right. And you're told to come up here Yeah. and you go up it's, there. That's what it and, seems like to me. And, and the interesting thing is, in every translation, including the Koine Greek, you are going up into the spirit. Right. I'll make a point that spirit needs to be looked at because there are many instances the word spirit, in my estimation, is a craft. 
And I go yeah. back to uh, Zechariah chapter six. Right. The chariots are coming out between the two brass mountains. Right. Uh, he's told that they are spirits. Yeah. So the chariots and, and of fire could also, also be in certain instances. Remember, there's just a few Hebrew words. Yeah. You need to, to look at it closely to see if it makes sense. Is this a craft? Absolutely. Uh, spirit in came many out cases, of Jesus' baptism. You don't see a spirit. How do you right. see a spirit come down? Right. And then there's in, that voice again coming out of the spirit. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased and all, all right. So it's it's all right. the time. It's, it's that, that one that one almost sounds to me more like uh one of these um these orbs, you know, like now people are seeing glowing orbs. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's like almost like a almost like a Tinkerbell kind of a fairies style thing that's when when it's just like a light. Uh, but it's not way up in the sky. It comes down and it comes right near you and you can see it right in front of you. And th these are being encountered um, as a phenomenon. This is happening um, all around the world currently. And um, so it's, it's again, it's interesting. You know, you go through these phases where they look like rockets. Then maybe for a while they look like Tic Tacs. Now maybe they're just glowing orbs. Uh, there's the whole saucer thing, like so. It's it's interesting that there seem to be different phases. I don't know why that would be, um, but then you're right. You in the new, in the Old Testament, they talk about uh, the spirit, and the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. And uh, in many of the many of those instances, it is very clearly um, some kind of flying craft. Um, sometimes the ruach is is picking people up. Um, in, in the case of Elijah, it's the ruach, um, and some. But there's other words too. It's not always ruach. Sometimes, sometimes it's the cherubim. Uh, when when David in the Psalms uh, talks about flying objects, he always calls them the cherubim. Um, but he talks about them as with Yahweh riding on them, and he talks about them uh, shooting laser beams at his enemies. Um, like that's in the Psalms. I can't remember which one, but if you want to know more about that, check out my There's book. There's a pretty good story about it. that in Joel too, where, where it's a lush green, like Garden of Eden in front, and these chariots go out, destroy yeah. everything, and then behind them, there's nothing but desolation. Oh, wow. I was, I'm not familiar with that story. I got to check that one out. Um, yeah, there's there's just so much crazy stuff. Now, so back to Revelation, the only the only thing that makes any sense to be in Revelation is um, I can't remember which chapter, but uh, I I believe it's towards the end, where after John sees all this crazy stuff, um, and you know a lot of people try to interpret that with like political reasons or whatever, like. I don't know. I don't get that. Um, but what I see is John is describing some really strange things that he saw. And then he ends the story with this gigantic cube that's like, I I think it was 100. Do you know the dimensions it's, it's, of this I, thing? It's 1500 by 1500 by 1500. Feet? Miles. Miles. 1500 yeah. miles. 
So this is like um, 1,500 miles. That's 1,000 miles. So to put that into perspective, the circumference of the Earth is 30,000 uh, miles, no, kilometers. 30,000 kilometers. So that's about 20,000 miles. So, but that's circumference, not radius. So if you're, if you're looking at, if you put the Earth and the New Jerusalem side by side, they're not going to be the same size but they're on the same ballpark scale. Well, you'd, you'd be, able be able to see to, it for sure. Yeah. It's, a, be able it's to see about it. halfway between. It's like New York City to Kansas City, Missouri. Right. Maybe it's a little smaller than the moon. Maybe. I'm just, just roughly, roughly guessing here. Um, I, I can crunch these numbers for you guys and let you know. But basically, uh, John tells us that he sees this gigantic cube um, coming down into an atmosphere, which is clearly not on Earth, uh, because the atmosphere of Earth cannot accommodate something that big. I guess it could land on on Earth. Okay, so maybe it's maybe it is, um, maybe it's landing on Earth. It's landing somewhere. Uh, there's no room for argument on that. Um, John is very clear that this gigantic cube is landing on some kind of, on some planet. And then he goes on to describe, uh, you know, how, how, how beautiful everything is. And it's all going to be really cool. Uh, which basically his point is we're going to go, we're going to be on that ship. And that's, Correct. that's like mainstream Christianity. That's not, that's not considered weird. Um, well, you haven't heard a sermon put together just the way you described it, have you? Well, not exactly that way. Maybe. <laughs> well, me either. But yeah, uh, those, that that will be interesting times for sure. And and you know it's, it's interesting because you know if the kings will be coming and going, so it's it's going to be like a two way street. Right. In some regards. Like going in and out of this uh, in and ship, out of this cube, coming back to the planet or coming back to the society on this planet. Right. And it and, will have know, the leaves for the healing of the nations, remember? Right, right. And there's no need for a sun and moon because the whole place is just lit. Um, and also it reminds me of what Jesus said be just before he left is that in my father's house, there are many mansions. So how big is that going to be? Yeah, it's about the right size. I wonder how many, I wonder if you could fit 8 billion, well, how many billion people are on the planet now, plus all the ones that have lived before us, which most of the time were a lot fewer. Uh, the earth has never had, uh, the the same number of people that are here now this is we're, we're probably oh, approaching max billion now yeah and we're probably approaching maximum capacity but um if you take the eight billion that are alive now and and all the all the millions that that have been here throughout the ages i wonder if you could fit them all into a into a cube that was 1500 miles wide i wonder Somebody can probably well, crunch the math. Fifteen hundred miles tall, too. So. Tall, too. Yeah, yeah, tall. It's giant. Uh, it's basically a giant. Have to run some numbers on that, Ken. Yeah, 
it's like one skyscraper the size of of New York City and the same height. It's it's wild. Well, bigger than New York City. New York City isn't fifteen hundred miles long. It would be again from about Kansas City to to New York City. If you okay, so yeah, the whole the whole freaking eastern coast. Unreal, unreal. Yeah. Um. Okay. I feel like uh, I'm coming to the end of my uh, my limit here, and um, it's been a yeah, it's it's been a good chat. Um, man, we've covered some very interesting topics. Uh, like you said, some of these are definitely worth circling back on. Um, so perhaps we shall talk again. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, to our listeners, thank you for joining us. And um, please definitely check out uh, Wallace's books. I'm going to pop them up on screen right here, and I'm going to have a link underneath. Uh, so you can uh, go, go get those on Amazon. And while you're there, pick up my book as well. Uh, you might want to pick up uh, my UFOs in the Bible and my Enuma Elish, which is the Sumerian uh, mythology that I mentioned briefly. Um, and yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, also, while you're on Amazon, um, hit the follow button. Um, when you're looking at the author page, you, there's a little follow button there. That'll notify you of uh, uh, when we release a new book in the future. So please do that. And also, please um, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, or the podcast if you happen to be on that medium. And uh, do come back, and we will uh, enjoy uh, seeing you all again. Thank you, Wallace, for joining us. Appreciate uh, it. Enjoyed it. Terrific chat. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Kid. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>